This is Inside Outlands. I'm your host, Nat Ryle, and joining me today is Ace. Ace Mason, what's up? Good evening. How are you? And we have Owen, the omnipotent leader of the Outlands Free Shard world, UO philanthropist, <laughs> beacon of the community, and most adored shard admin of all time. Owen. Jesus, there's a strike through me. Nothing. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> that's that's yeah, that's ego boosting for sure. Thank you. Thanks for having thought, me again. We thought you needed it. After all you deal with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since we talked, Owen. I, I usually like to have a, a couple podcasts under our belt before we reach out to like you or Luthius. Um, it's been a little while since me and Ace have even podcasted. But the Shard is two and a half years in, and it's been a while since we've done a retrospective. Not that that's what all this will be about. We'll cover some future and current event stuff, but just kind of wanted to touch base with you and see how Land, how Atlanta is doing. And, and we got a, a whole bunch of community questions. They turned out in four. So we're going to sprinkle those in through the show as we kind of move along here. I think the last time we talked was September last year. I was looking back through the archives of Inside Outlands to see see when we last oh, spoke. Oh, that's, that's sooner than I thought. That's not actually not that far. Okay. Yeah, we covered the dev the dev pipeline um, when it first came out. We went through that together, and then I was just thinking back, sort of with some fondness, to when we first spoke. It was the first podcast I'd ever done, but when um, you guys had me on Sandbox, your other project, and that was a few days before Outlands launched, like October fifteenth, um, twenty eighteen. So we're going back a few years now. Pretty crazy. At least someone on this show does research. <laughs> I've got my notepad here ready. Fact. You were you were really unsure about the success of, of Outlands. You know, you could hear it in that podcast. It was a really, really interesting show. It's probably still worth listening to today. But obviously Outlands was very successful. I, I, we have a really good question. I'm going to skip down. Ace, I don't know who asked it, but was there a point in the... Uh, in the shards lifespan where you kind of realized you, you not only had made it or kind of were here to stay and had some longevity. Yeah. I, I think we knew I was definitely being cautiously optimistic when I was, when I did that podcast with you, um, we were looking at our discord numbers rising and, and the following of people and um, players that were just eager to jump into something that was really um, new and fresh, which is what outlands aimed to offer at that point. And we, we're hoping that we would have, you know, 500 players online when we launched, because historically, if you look at server launches throughout the years, if servers aren't launching with thousands of players, then they're not really lasting for much time at all. You know, if you have a thousand players on your first week, then you have 500 players on your third month, and then, you know, it just slowly dwindles down from there. So we kind of had an idea that we would have longevity um, legs or at least a community to, you know, pander to or support or, or make content for, um, when we hit that 2000 player milestone, that first December, that was when we realized like the server couldn't even handle the amount of people that we had online and people were just, you know, clawing at the door, the patch server couldn't keep up. The game server couldn't keep up We, I mean, I couldn't keep up. I was going insane. So, yeah, I think that that was the point when we realized like December after we launched, like two months in, there was real potential for Outlands to be a successful Ultima Online shard. And it's just been crazy since. I mean, there's definitely been lows for, uh, you know, looking back, 
because we didn't have any PK penalties, like red penalties through, you know, a good portion of the first year or so before that initial murder, um, murder patch went in, people were being driven off the shard. They weren't interested in, in logging in. They weren't interested in playing. And the narrative surrounding Outlands, like the, the PR narrative that people were spreading in forums and Reddit and, you know, the comment section on YouTube is that you couldn't play on Outlands for, you know, five minutes without being killed and then five minutes without being killed again and again and again. And people were just quitting that. And that was the image that was being portrayed of the shard, which we obviously realized we needed to curb because our population was dwindling and it was dwindling quickly. It was going down. You know, we were having lows of, of, you know, 600 or 700 players online and, and trying to feel good about it and feel excited about everything. But when you go from seeing 2000 plus players online to seeing 700 players online, it's a bit disheartening. So we made the change then and the numbers have slowly rebounded and for better or worse, you know, in the, in the global scheme, obviously it's been really horrible, but COVID has been um, a blessing for Outlands. People are at home. They're thinking about, you know, good times in the past. They're revisiting old memories, wanting to play old games, and they're logging in and checking, checking out Outlands. It also helps that we now have two and a half years of search engine optimization. We have good ads in place. We have a really helpful community. We have Discord and the forums and guides and everything is really running at a, a great pace. And when people find Outlands, they can log in as a new player and join the server and and really hit the ground running. So we're now seeing higher numbers than we have ever seen, basically. You know, short of that launch week when everyone was, or, you know, December launch time, when people were running three accounts and macroing and getting their characters ready and, and, you know, just new shard hype, we're seeing you know, up to 900 or 1900 plus players online on our busy days now, two and a half years in. So to see that kind of growth on a, you know, quote unquote established shard, I think is, is pretty wild. And it's a testament to the work that we have done and continue to do since we launched. It's been wild. Yeah, that, that last question was from Arbor of the Tree. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, it's nice to see Arbor around too. It's a, a familiar name from from Shard's past, um, and that's the kind of community that Outlands has now. Is those solid players that are, you know, they're the glue that keep the you know the fringes intact, as it can go, it can go south pretty quickly. But it's nice to have people like that around. That's a Relpor name, isn't it? I yeah, Relpor and Ancorp. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even, it didn't even click till just now when you said it's an old name. Yeah. It's like I, the I, part of the Phoenix gang. That old. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I remember him from, from real poor for sure. So uh, we'll just stay in the retrospective side of the podcast for a little bit. Um, one thing the last, I guess, six months or so you've brought in a, a really heavy push for classic UO. Like that's now the big button on the client. Yeah. <laughs> you've got some actual client enforcement going on. And at least from the community side of it, it looks like that's where most of the users are. That's where most of my guild is using it. Now it's very rare. We have kind of a meme inside of my guild, even like if you're using Steam, we just start shitting on you immediately. Like, why are you on that client? <laughs> Play the good one. Uh, oh, you want Steam help? No Steam help here. You know, here's here's your Razor script is the same thing. That's my guild. I, I know the perception when we first started the shard was 
was not that at all. I mean, I think most of us were in were in Steam or trying to use the Orion client. So, what's kind of the journey with clients, and where do you think you are with CUO? I mean, my line is the same now. I'm like, I don't really support Steam. I can't even get Steam to launch on my own computer. Like, I, I there's no point in me even trying to support it when I can't even launch the stupid thing. So, I'm fed up. My line is that I'm fed up with the clients in general, um, with Steam anyway. Um, Classic Yo is amazing. It's it's been an incredible progression to watch Karasho and his team build that client into something that's so incredibly stable and useful and easy for us to deliver. And um, it just runs so well now that I, I mean, I think there's like 10 people that use steam on outlands. It's that's not an actual metric. There are quite a few people that use steam still, but the majority of people use steam because their computer won't run classic UO yet. And that's the main um, hold off for us to, drop steam completely is because there are people who play ultima online that don't have a computer that will run the classic uo they don't have a 64-bit os and that's the main the main drawback for us right now i would in a heartbeat drop steam if the only reason we were keeping it was for the scriptability but the reason why we're holding on to it is because we just don't want to alienate an entire um, loyal player base of people who are playing on steam so the main push that we have right now with Steam is to get it 32-bit OS compatible. Jaden has a nice um, sort of stable of developers that are working on Steam or on Classic UO to make it 32-bit compatible and also to introduce some of the Steam scripting language right into the client. And then once we drop Steam, we'll just be able to go full throttle into incredible client modifications and, and updates and and that sort of full control territory. Right now, we just don't think it's worth investing the time into the feature side of Classic UO when not everybody can see it. And we haven't signaled to the community that we are only using Classic UO now. But where the client infrastructure is entirely, including Steam, is um, sort of what we had dreamt of when we launched in terms of only letting our clients log into the server having control over what people are able to do with their clients. You know, people aren't questioning like, are they using a cheat client against me? Or are they able to use something that I don't have access to just because they're using a different client? That question has been erased from, you know, the competitive mindset. If you're in a tournament or you're in a, you know, PVP event or you're fighting against somebody or an IDOC or whatever, at least you know that the boundaries of gameplay that you're playing against are even across the board. And I think that is a huge step for us. So have we took an, taken a poll and just like, wouldn't it be like quicker and cheaper probably just to buy them all new computers, get them all potatoes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All, <laughs> all 10 of them, do a well, GoFundMe. Yeah, like five, five bucks a player on Outlands, we can help buy all these people new computers <laughs> yeah, that aren't that potatoes like a... and then just move to classic UO 64-bit, well, done. I have a guildmate that plays in turkey and uh you know i, I went and got a found him a laptop to send and it was going to be really expensive to send him a laptop you know an old one that could run ceo even he eventually built a new computer a couple months later but uh you know with a worldwide community that's that's not an easy problem to address even even jokingly like that yeah it's a nice idea but i don't think it's a realistic approach it i mean we could we could just cut it off as well but that it's just not our style we want to you know 
you're the one that's given me so much shit about how we telegraph these changes and the and what we bring in and you know the the progression that we allow even with classic uo and we obviously want to say you know in a month's time steam will no longer work you'll have to migrate to classic uo and that day is coming it's you know it's it's coming faster than it's ever come before obviously i've been talking about this for years but it's really like a tangible idea at this point from an admin point of view it's been incredible to have even client control period because i have a better idea of who you are where you're logging in what client you're using can i track you if you're using a vpn can i ban you entirely from the project those sorts of um you know code of conduct enforcement tools are hugely beneficial to running a community it's one of the reasons why i know now when people are like you know vpn housing such a huge problem you know people are flipping houses there you know they've got 20 accounts they own 20 houses and i can verifiably say that's not the case because we have more heuristic data now to look at at the the bigger picture and say you know no really they they don't you know we just have a limited house supply right now um but people aren't abusing things as much anymore now that we've honed in more on client enforcement so it's been really you know it's what what we what i dreamt of in terms of management of the server from an admin perspective uh as well as a gameplay perspective that's really come together nicely yeah oh i know we definitely appreciate it because uh having that equal playing field well a really equal playing field would be all one client i think we're well on the way there and this is a huge improvement knowing someone's not using your stealth or whatever other program there is trying to outmaneuver me with code yeah we were looking had sort of like a development powwow and we were looking at the major issues that are like performance issues that are facing outlands right now and one of them is arena lag um the pvpers complain about the arena all the time and the lag is really specific to the arena and impacts them there specifically and we're trying to hone in on that as best we can another is um some line of sight issues that have remained throughout our the course of our lifespan like if you go to target something and you hit the wrong thing then your target your target disappears and your spell doesn't land like teleport or casting fields or whatever it might be you know that's a long-standing bug that hasn't been addressed and then really it's it's knocking steam out and those are the main three things that we look at as sort of the the last remaining hurdles of getting Outlands to not just being a well-oiled machine, but like really slickly running in the right direction. And when we get to that point, I mean, we won't even know what to do with ourselves. We'll we'll focus on content and making things fun. And you know, Jaden's rewritten the net stack, which is I don't think's ever been done in the history of Run UO. So it's you know, we we updated a, a 15-year-old pipeline that handles the connection between our server and your client. And now the number one consumer of resources on the server isn't just the communication between the client and the server. So it's dropped our overhead by a huge amount. Uh, so we can add in more things like more complex AI or, or more in-depth systems or, you know, the the performance threshold for the server is becoming so optimized that it now allows the development team to focus on things that are more um, engaging for players and less exhausting for us. Yeah, uh, we can roll into that for a minute. The uh, 
one thing that's changed between now and the last retrospective is you've you've grown your staff quite a bit. You had Jaden on then, but you've you've added a couple of guys even past Jaden. Obviously, Jaden's doing tremendous stuff. Uh, even like recently, we're doing Omniboss right after that big boss overhaul. It was real laggy, and then you guys did some stuff with animations, a couple other things. Now Omnibosses are running really great um, with very, very little lag for, I think, most users. It's, yeah, I mean, the the optimization trip that Jaden has been on is, I mean, we, I've said it before and I'll say it again, we don't deserve Jaden. He's really an incredible mind in his own field, but the fact that we have him working on outlands in this capacity is is a huge like coup for us um if if you were familiar with the run uo code base because we're running run uo 1.0 you know it's a very rudimentary version of run uo nowhere near where it ended up even in its own lifespan um you wouldn't recognize any of the code that's there because Jaden's rewritten it all essentially the way that the developers divide the workload is that there's two folders. One is scripts and one is server. And scripts is basically everything that's front-facing. So that's player engagement. And that's predominantly Luthius's focus. That's where he spends all of his time. That is what he um, wants to do with his time. It's what inspires him most. And then Jaden and Cameron work together on the server side of things. And... I mean, Cameron is an extremely talented developer. I don't think we've been able to get um, everything out of him yet. He's really busy with life at the moment, um, understandably, since these are all sort of volunteer positions. But Jaden and Vorspi- or Cameron and Vorspire function as a really um, solid soundboard for Jaden. And that is what makes that, that side of development really tick. Because Jaden, I mean, 99% of the time, Jaden is right about everything that he does. And he works quietly <laughs> behind the scenes. And he just is a workhorse. You know, we present him with a problem or tell him what's going on. Or, or he looks and at the analytics himself and just begins to work on it. But then he'll throw questions in chat like, I'm, I'm thinking of doing this or I'm thinking of doing this. Or, or maybe this approach is the right way to go. And you know, Cameron will review code or Vorspire will say, you know, historically this has happened with RunUO because he's like the encyclopedia of of the emulation community, the historian. Um, or he'll mention something that he's worked on on other projects or, or that he's seen across his desk. And those sorts of conversations, like developer debriefs that they have, are what inspire such incredible work out of each other. And then there's Lone Wolf, you know, Cowboy Luthius doing whatever he wants. But it's the work that the server crew does that allows Luthius to do what he does. Because Luthius does a lot of things with a lot of overhead and a lot of detail and a lot of saved information. And, you know, the charts and leaderboards and stats and everything that's all saved is a lot of information that the server has to access all the time and store and save and present and recall. We have to back that information up. You know, there's there's redundancy in server infrastructure and everything goes on behind the scenes and that's all the server crew letting Luthius play. And that's really the, you know, the magic of it all. Yeah. I'm um, going to need healing stats on bosses now too. <laughs> yeah. So. We keep asking for that. It's funny. Cause I talked to Luthius about it, you know, fairly frequently and I don't think he can get it out of his mind that people don't need to be rewarded for healing. They just want to know if they're doing it. 
Uh, with Town Struggles, for example, there are a lot of people that play and they're dedicated healers. They don't even want you know the extra battle commendation or the points per se. They just want to know that they've been doing it to be recognized by their peers. So I think that that is something that we could see in the future. Even if, you know, like an omniboss or a boss, it's not necessarily going to factor into your reward, but it's just a fun metric to have access to. Well, we're doing things like don't, don't, uh, don't hit the damage threshold, just show up and heal. Uh, even for like a, a newer player, you know, just bring a mage and heal and, and that right. player can get a, could get a metric to go off of because he's not going to show up on results other than a tag right just some reason to show up and and to know how you've contributed i definitely agree with you i think that that would be something that we could see added in at some point yeah this podcast is going to be nat ask owen for things um, <laughs> <laughs> i i can't think of anything off the hand for it for another part of the retrospective but it's we've definitely had a lot go down since then a, a lot of world events do you have anything to say about anything about that? We had a podcast recently with Eric, Eric the Gray. Uh, it was great, great stuff. I think that has, has really stepped up once uh, he took over that. That's another staff addition by you guys. Um, I think Eric someone finally blocks. got in that role and, and, and hit the ground running. Yeah, Eric's incredible. He's a, he's a total lone wolf. He, I'm so guilty of not communicating properly with him because I just know that he's going to do it and it's going to be great and it's going to work. Um, I think with the count or the prevailing manor siege, the server took a beating and that was a huge sort of reckoning for the development team to look at why, you know, we want to be able to host events with hundreds of people, but in its present state or previous state, that wasn't possible. But Eric, you know, persisted and I, I have this bad habit of like being in a car or being in a plane and being completely unavailable to help with any of these things. And I promise I don't plan it that way, but I'm rarely around. And it's probably better for my sanity and my like poor heart that I am not around for those sorts of stressful events. But Eric does a really amazing job of bringing a, a, a sense of vibrancy to the world that the rest of us don't. Um, there's When Eric first joined the server as a player... And he wrote those incredible guides that are on the forums to the towns and to the dungeons. And, you know, he, he wrote these stories about the map that I had built and brought it to life in such a way that I was excited about what I had done. Like, I, I mean, I definitely approach things with that sort of idea, like, oh, you know, here's an inn. And, and if I was in this inn, I would look out this window and that direction. Like, I, I would try to create these stories to at least engage myself in what I was doing. But Eric created these tales about you know, the towns and the royalty and the timeline and the people that were involved and and why things are the way they were that just added such a, another layer of depth to what I had done. And, and, and that was so exciting for me. And then he came to me and was like, I'm done with this shit. <laughs> this server is, is dead to me. I'm so sick of dying. I can't even go anywhere to like take a screenshot of anything <laughs> because I keep getting killed. And, you know, you're, you're going down the wrong path. You know, Outlands is going to die. I was like, oh, oh okay um well what can i do to get you to stay because your storytelling is so great at that point he was already working on some new artwork like he'd done the new wyvern animation and i think he was even working on the direwolf at the time and that was like a gut punch to me like i i could have cared less if you know fucking some awful guild leader left and took 27 players with them like i i didn't care but the fact that someone who had (laughs) (laughs) it was was random but specific um 
the fact that someone who had actually put in thought and care and attention to detail in a way that enriched not only the server but also my like personal attachment to the server was such a bigger punch in the face than than anyone else just being like i'm you know i'm out fuck outlands i'm sick of pks so eric quitting was kind of like a reckoning for us to look at why you know we we had no pk penalties the server was going down the wrong path we were in a population lull you know things weren't looking up at that point so I was like, I want you to just come, just come work for us. You know, at least you'll be in the door. You'll be communicating, communicating with us at a staff level. You'll be able to talk to Luthius about, you know, the PK problem from a firsthand perspective, but now also as a staff member, which, you know, carries a little more weight around here. And he, he joined the team and I love what he does. And I am, you know, so guilty of not paying enough attention to everything that he's doing and not giving him the support that he needs. But the latest thing that really um, inspired me that he did was bringing Erickton Bluffs to life, which was so hugely needed on the server. I think you know, people are tired of farming. Oswari 4 is the only high-end content. You know, they're getting a little bored of that. And he's like, I'm going to make this dungeon. And he did it completely on his own. He... Nothing was coded for him. Nothing was made specifically for him. Those monsters were all made in XML, dropped in. It's all done in game. It's like all custom spawners, all those special effects. He found things from, you know, like he liked a mob in Palma, so he reskinned it. And he liked a mob in Darkmire, so he reskinned it. And he dropped it and he made this incredible orc dungeon. And it's like, kudos for that amount of enthusiasm you know like what did what did we do to deserve that kind of commitment to our project um he Burton, did not mention that he was doing all that stuff right yeah, I, I think he was no he was very modest i don't he didn't say anything about that i think that. he downplayed oh. that tremendously i had no idea he was yeah i mean that's that just like his incredible thing. sense of professionalism for sure because yeah, that's, that's he awesome. he did it all on his own and he he made custom artwork for the drops he he did it all. The only thing that didn't work out was his talisman thing because you know, there, are, there are funny little mechanics to teleporters, how pets didn't follow you. But he even had like the teleporters checking for the item in like the talisman item in players packs and bringing them into the dungeon and consuming it. And obviously all of the incredible puzzles that were only solved like, two and a half months later and the boss fights and the, the, the levers and switches and doors. And like the dude is next level committed to what he's doing and i was like i need to water this plant a bit more i think is what i realized afterwards like eric is has so much growth potential and what he offers the server is so far beyond the level of um you know championing that i was offering him at that point so he approached me the other night about something else that he wants to work on and i immediately like hopped to it because i had i had let it go on for too long so he said you know, there's a new group of players forming. They're really interested in doing this. This is their role-playing thing. And I think we could use this area that you've already built, but it needs these changes. So I opened the map editor. I was like, yes, I'll do this tonight. And I built it out. And I just can't wait to see what he does with it and what the, the community brings to it because he's um, he's incredible. He's really like, I want to I write a book. Like a, a guide to Outlands with all of the stuff that he's written with screenshots and, you know, history and making of like, like the original UO manual. You know, we all thumbed through that a hundred times when we were 13 years old. Like, oh, you know, 
fuck, Papua, that sounds so cool. Like, I can't wait to visit Hopper's Bog. You know, I saw this screenshot and we need that for Outlands. That kind of um, lore, I think, needs to be captured and saved in some kind of hardcore book, hardcover book. That's really the quality of his early writing for the for the areas was kind of that that style yeah last night i was working on horseshoe bay um rebuilding it like streaming it and people were watching and then someone came in a chat this morning they're like why are you rebuilding horseshoe bay like why is it a fort now you know why it's just a humble fishing town well actually you should read the lore that eric wrote because it's not it's a you know it was a it became a trade port that was central to the gem trade between Cambria and Prevalian and Daria, but it was always neutral, though fought over and you know funded by all sides, but just remained a neutral party. But that sort of lore that he wrote really informs my now you know new decision making when I'm rebuilding something like that. Oh, he he definitely plays an integral role in the you know the the picture the overall picture of Outlands from a lore and. Um, event the sort of quest point of view is is driven by eric entirely owen's canceling the orc dungeon because he said it wasn't a cool enough tile set and then yes luthius, no luthius canceled the orc dungeon he didn't like it he didn't think he didn't think the map that i had made was interesting enough to include as one of our eight dungeons when we launched which was fine because we had eight other great dungeons at that point but i had done the work and it was built and it was ready to go and you know the orc concept was is fine there's just not a lot you can do with orcs i mean clearly there is but yeah they're terrible they're terrible beings so is is Urkton your map then is 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 my map it's the the original map i haven't changed anything about it okay so he he just populated it okay he just yeah he populated it he wrote the story he did the lead up he uh you know the orc versus humans etc etc um that was all eric he just brought it to life and and we were like, oh, there's not much you can do with orcs, but obviously there's like 30 unique mobs that he made that are all orcs or, you know, humanoids skinned as orcs or trolls or spiders or whatever. You know, he went full tilt with it. And that, yeah, that's the original Urkton Bluffs. All right, real quick, let's go through the remaining questions in here. Yeah, we did. We did have a question about Urkton. Um, fuck, now I can't find it. If it was the puzzle one, I don't actually know the answer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was the puzzle one. So yeah, I don't know. No puzzle one. I, I was probably briefed on it, but didn't pay attention. But I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Uh, from from Wiggles, what games, MMOs, other than UO influenced developers of Outlands uh, has been a great mix of long term and short term gains to keep MMORPGs entertaining for more people. I'm but a horrible gamer. A great... <laughs> yeah. I'm. I like. I don't game at all. Um, I've always been like the builder type playing roller coaster tycoon or roller coaster tycoon two or, or the Sims or um, Sim zoo or, you know, whatever it might, anything that you could build and manage was my jam. That's what I enjoy to do. But Luthius is a, is a, is a big time gamer. Um, he plays everything. He's like a hoarder of games. If Luthius isn't working on outlands, he's gaming. And I think a lot of the ideas that he comes up with are, are drawn from other games. I don't know specific yes. references there, but there's definitely, you know, he he'll come out of left field and tell me about some game that he played. I'm like, really? Like, when did you find the time to do that? Um, but he definitely has a really wide ranging knowledge of games and, and gaming history. Well, he has eight hours at work. You know, he spent two hours fixing some aspect code or something, and he had six yeah. hours to play the game. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, it's obvious in, in Luthius code. There's a lot of outside influences. We'll have to ask Luthius that next time we have him on. I remember when he pitched me the antiquity system and he was like, this is a bit like something in Stardew Valley. And I was like, oh, I played Stardew Valley. <laughs> like I had no idea that he, that was one of the reference points that he was working with. But there's that. And I mean, lately he's been like hoarding, hoarding games and telling me what he's buying and playing. Like, do you really get the time to play all of these? He's like, I'm a bit of a, like an archivist. I like to have everything, whether I play it or not, but like revisit it. But he definitely dabbles in a lot. Um, plays a lot of different things and different genres of games. We got a lot of personal questions about you, Owen. People, people <laughs> want to know about you for some reason. But uh, so, I mean, and Eric, Eric Gray um, asks, where do you draw inspiration for map and world building? And then to kind of um, elaborate on that, uh, Rekar asks what your technical background is and if you have any prior uh, cartography experience. And then we had two questions about is, is Outlands your primary occupation? And if not, how do you juggle everything, personal work and Outlands without going insane? Sure, I'll try to break that down. So a lot of my inspiration comes from watching movies, looking at art, traveling, um, you know, looking at historic buildings and landmarks in the world, or just like general curiosity about about life um there was a point in my map making adventure when my style shifted more from like a fantasy um like juvenile approach to a more um architectural real realistic approach i think like you know if if this was this kind of building what would it actually look like and what would the utility be for this building like if you're a shipwright, you probably have a dock and a dry dock and a indoor building and an outdoor building. And you'd have really big doors on it and like a large gate. It wouldn't just be this like little dinky thing in a in a shop with a sign on it that's just a shipwright. Like I I try to inform my own building decisions with a bit of a realistic approach, which I mean obviously it's a, a fantasy game, but there is like a bit of architectural integrity that goes into a town or building a castle or even you know a dungeon or going down into a dungeon i try to maintain as much authenticity as i can like it's a it's a kind of a stupid example but like if you're going down in a dungeon you would go downstairs to go to a lower level you wouldn't just jump across you know an, an invisible boundary and if there's two, uh, two exits, this is probably going to illustrate really horribly over voice, but if there's two exits that are side by side, then at the other level of dungeons, there should be two entrances that are side by side, and it should be a similar width apart. So that it seems realistic that if this was a structure, you would actually be hopping you know, from one side to the next instead of jumping through space and ended up somewhere completely different. And those sorts of like b basing those decisions in reality, whatever reality might be, um, helps to make things work out better. Yeah, I don't know if I that makes I don't know if that makes any sense, but no, to paint, to paint your picture in game mausoleum, right? You have you have the two entrances right. to level three, to level three exactly, and one side goes. Yep. Yeah, one side goes. How north, do you explain the, the one tile pathways? Then, oh, 
that I regret everything <laughs> about one tile pathways. <laughs> That's a trademark that I now have to maintain to save face. Um, I, I, th- I think building the map initially, I was like, yeah, no one will ever go here. I don't know if anyone will ever walk here. Um, if they did, they'll probably be alone, you know, solo player <laughs> wandering around. Not once did I ever step back and think like, oh, fuck, we're going to need somewhere that we can host 500 players and they can play comfortably. Like King's Manor with all those little, you know, pathways and entryways and knolls and hills and mountains and trees and everything. Like not really suitable to having 400 players on a single screen. You know, didn't really think about that when I built that. I just wanted it to look cool. And that is the curse. I think is that I built all of these areas just based on the aesthetic value of it, not in the actual playability. And I slowly sort of come away from that. Um, Whenever I build something now, it's a bit more wide open, you know, wider pathways, a bit more sensible in terms of playability. Um, Not so many elevation changes. I'm not so obsessed with, you know, flexing my muscle of having, you know, really high peaks and valleys. I just want it to be playable and functional and, you know, I can make it look good without flexing every design muscle that I have. When I'm working on a project like Horseshoe Bay, I definitely draw inspiration from other UO servers. Uh, there's no doubt about it. There are some really incredible German role-playing servers that I have stalked and watched and looked at and, you know, made relationships with and acquired assets from. Horseshoe Bay is hugely inspired by a role-playing server called Arcs Obscura. Uh, there's a town there, their main town that was built by um an incredible builder named valorian she's actually working now with outlands um designing gumps she did the whole winter collection and she did the spring collection now forward she's like she's one of the most incredible creators that i've ever come across and i was always in awe of her and and the work that she had done and now i've gotten to know her and and she's a also a, a really great person but hugely creative and i have learned a lot just by mimicking her work um, I have like a folder of screenshots that I look at all the time. I'm like, mm, I need a maid shop. What would that look like? Or I need a shipwright. What would that look like? Or I need, you know, a creative way to think about doing this. Like I've slowly been rebuilding Upper Prevalia as well. Now I'd like, I need to think about how that the jeweler and the carpenter and you know, like that other corner could look. And I'm always going back and referencing other, other servers. There are, there's an incredible library um, wealth of information and work that's out there and it would be stupid not to reference it. So a huge part of it comes from within the UO community, definitely movies. You know, I watch Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, like every other nerd and pause at beautiful spots and take screenshots and, you know, dream of what Rivendell could look like. If it was an Ultima online, those sorts of ideas, like the, the conversion process from, looking at a picture or watching a movie and imagining what that could look like in Ultima Online is kind of a fun like mental gymnastics that I play with myself. Also, that's it's also taken as a clip. <laughs> <laughs> play with myself. One other huge, really exciting thing for me right now is this, this roster of artists that we're working with. The, I have, there's two twin brothers, um, Battle Axe Bill and Don West. And they are like the most fun that I've had on Outlands. I look forward to working with them and the conversations that we have. And like I, I send them an idea. I'm like, I need a, 
sync and they they send me back like a pixel sync and it's perfect for uo or i'll be like i need a i need this rush job like we're gonna do an easter egg hunt i need these these five things and they're like sure no problem they whip it up and it looks like it's original to uo nothing's out of place nothing's an eyesore it's done perfectly and immediately and they they just get it now and we're working on some really cool things together and that's been um really 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 fun so if i say like i need this i need bigger trees can you make those for me they do it i need i'm working on something right now and i needed um blood flowing downstairs so like blood tiles that sit on top of stairs which i mean no one else in the history of you has ever needed that but i decided i did and i told them that i needed it and they did it and it's fucking awesome and now i've got bloody stairs um they are they're just so talented like i their their application i don't know if you remember in the community i posted an announcement section like if you know i'm seeking pixel artists if you think that you can match the style of ultima online send me a message and bill sent me these like doom animations they were like modding doom as kids or years past and I don't even think I responded. Like, I don't think that's right. Like, I'm not, I'm not really sure about that. And he was persistent. He's like, please give us a chance. Give us a chance. Give us a chance. And I'm so glad I did. It was the best, you know, revisit I ever made. They, the, their first contribution was what they did for King's Fair last year. Um, we had some really cool new art that was like the triple candles and the stilts and the um, firefly in a bell jar. All of that was theirs. They did that whole, that whole, kit and then they did christmas and now they've done easter and they they're going to do spring which is the next release they did all of that artwork they're working on new animations for king's fair um we're going to be adding five new mini events so there'll be like a total of 20 things to do at king's fair now and i want to do like popping balloons and fruit toss and um, log spinning and it's just so awesome to be able to say to these guys like this is what we want to do can you do it and they're like yeah sure no problem and they deliver these things that are just so perfect for what we want to do and it, it it's like it's next level it's setting it's setting outlands apart well beyond what any other uo server has ever done before and that's a huge part of my creative process now is just thinking what can I do to improve the way that all of this looks? Or what can I do to make this look like nothing any UO player has ever seen before? Like, you know, Blood on Stairs, cool. No one will really notice what it is, but they will have never seen it before. And that's what inspires my building mind right now. No, I love it. When we interviewed Belial, we uh, we got a kind of in-depth look of, of what that process is like. And he mentioned, he mentioned those guys. Uh, it's almost like you're a real developer team with that with real... You're people a real reach boy. out to you to get you had to get <laughs> yeah. to get your your ideas done. Otherwise, you're you're going to hit roadblocks and just have to um, yeah. Not yeah. I mean, Belial Belial's always been like a a cog in that creative process for me. He just like dives in and and gets work done. He's taking a break right now. We put in his new storage shelf, and uh, like three or four people were like, "This is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. I fucking hate it." And Belial quit Discord, quit Outlands, and left. And I've been slowly like working him back into being a part of the team, but it's been a quiet month on the Belial front. 
Yeah, I just heard. I just saw that today in in home decor and fashion. So for those yeah. of you that drove him away, fuck you, because you're the scum of the UO community. He was like, awesome. Why you fucking liked that like that shit? That storage shelf was so ugly. It had like it had three helmets on it and looked like it had been saved as a JPEG twenty seven times. Here we go. You know, I will. Again. I will stick up for them in one aspect. Why can't we dye our fucking storage shelves on? Yeah, I got a, I got a DM for one, a question to ask you is why Let can't we guess. dye our storage shelves? <laughs> Let me guess who sent you that question. Go ahead. Um, well, Luthius and I almost got a divorce over storage shelves. Not that we're in a relationship, but you know, in the the theoretical relationship of Luthius and I, almost ended over storage shelves because that's all I wanted. I just wanted the new storage shelf graphic. And then if you dyed it, it changed to the dyeable shelf graphic and you know everyone was happy. But Luthies was like, no, we need to give them the option to skin their storage shelf with 25 different kinds of shelf. Oh yeah, I'm down for like, that. I'm this is that. so overkill. It's a storage. Like I, we literally created this graphic just to be a storage shelf. Why don't we save those shelves for other things? Like if we, you know, we could have a shelf skinning system or something. You're like, I don't, I don't, I, it just wasn't the right thing to do at the time. And he was adamant that it was, and I was adamant that it wasn't. And as usual, I, you know, mountain up out of a molehill situation in, in development chat. So that's why that graphic wasn't released for two years anyway. But I, the only reason why it came in is because I just replaced the file instead of making like a code change or offering anything. I just simply replaced the existing horrible helmet graphic. Um, and shift it to everybody. Owen wanted dieable shelves. Lithius wanted to give us skins, and instead we got nothing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You got nothing. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Good summary. That's exactly what. That, happened. That's how it works when mom and dad fight. So you pretty guys much like right, you're not yeah. you're not getting fucking anything, anybody. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. That's what happened. So that's why you can't die them because the Lithius hasn't changed the code. I just changed the art and patched it to everybody. So I vetoed. I vetoed the situation, got my way sort of halfway. So just be happy with what you have, Dubs. That's all I have to say. <laughs> uh, I think the last part of that question was, uh, what's your what's your real life work like? I know uh, we have a question like from, from Melik from that, from Rakar. Uh, whatever you want to talk about is is yours to share, I guess, or, or, or ignore. Yeah, I don't but- really talk about my personal life. Um with the gaming community at large, it, there's a lot of fucking weirdos around. A lot of people have gone to great lengths to find out who I am and what I do. And um, anyway, I have thrown a lot of curveballs into the community just to throw people off the chase. I mean, at one point I was a pilot, another point of, you know, working in a creative field, another point I'm a doctor. I just like make up random shit at any time. I'm a bit of a psychopath, but <laughs> um, I, I work in a creative field in a visual creative field. Um, my it's completely unrelated to gaming um mapping cartography none of that i'm I'm just a visual person sort of always have been and that's why i was drawn to what to map making i think um i always really liked uo like i uo was my favorite game ever probably but i was more drawn to you know being a full-blown trammy and sitting at vesper bank and double clicking people's paper dolls to see what they look like um chatting it was it was a virtual chat room for me not ever really like much of a gamer so the main thing was just that i wanted to make the map look better because it looks like i mean the original map looks like garbage If, if you go back we're all so like you know really easy to throw stones from glass houses at this point but 
if you go back and look at the original maps, like there's very little inspiring about that map at all. It's it's so rudimentary and evidently procedurally generated, made by code. You know, there's really little flair and style to the whole thing. And I just thought maybe this could be done better. Maybe I could make something that actually looks nice because I think the artwork for UO is amazing. It's it's so timeless and it's become more timeless now because we all have mobile games on our phones that have similar aesthetics and similar perspectives and you know there's that really cool sort of vintage throwback feeling to pixel art that is like you know it's akin to having a record player listening to vinyl at this point it it's just got a bit of a historical feeling to it and i thought i could make something look nice with that you know, i could i could put these tiles together in a different way and i could do something that's really nice to look at and I think I did. That's that was always the goal was just to make something that was beautiful and nice to play on and and unique and different. And it took thousands of hours, and my body's broken from the time I spent doing it. You've got a horrible carpal tunnel, and my posture is worse than ever. And like I broke my wrist last summer, and it never really recovered because of all the clicking that I've done. I've got some like tendon issue. Anyway, <laughs> it's been like a labor of love to make this map the way it is and there's a lot to it it's just like a lot of work i i streamed i was looking at my stats from my stream last night on twitch it was like almost three hours two hours and 52 minutes and i finished one town gate and and one building but the building doesn't even have floors or decoration in it yet like that's the amount of time it takes to do anything at this level this like deliver not, i don't say this level like i'm you know some sort of pompous map asshole but um to like de- deliver something to the caliber that's already been delivered that people are expecting from me. And that's why from, from me and from outlands, and that's why when people are like, Oh, just expand the map. Like there's no room for houses. Just make it bigger. I'm like, yeah, I'd love to, but I'm going to spend so much time doing something that matches the standards that are expected of us. And it's going to be full of houses in 15 minutes. And you like run around once and be like, yeah, that's cool. And then you go back to Ossuary 4. Like what, what, to what, to what end am I spending this amount of time again to make more for people to consume? Obviously I want to, but it's, it's mapping's my favorite thing. I'm happiest. I'm in a really, like I'm in a good mood and mindset about the server in general right now. And a huge part of that is because I've been able to sit back and actually work on some creative projects. You know, I'm really keen about all the artwork that we're doing. I'm working on some map stuff that's really exciting for me. When I'm able to get into that creative zone, instead of doing so much admin work or dealing with a horrible toxic community, um, that's when I feel like I thrive in this project. Like Luthius, you know, he gets assaulted for sure with the, you know, overhauls and tweaks and work. But most of the questions that he gets are like ideas about the game or suggestions about the game or bugs with the game or you know just just you know creative conversations and the shit that i deal with in my inbox is like the dregs of outland society like everything that's wrong every bug that's broken every you know tattletale every horrible thing comes my way and that is really exhausting so when that is contained to a certain point i can dive into the map stuff the creative stuff the art stuff creative projects, you know, overseeing, you know, package releases or you know, quarterly releases like spring or the new gums for winter or, or King's fair, even 
that's when I feel, you know, most passionate and stoked about Outlands. Yeah, I think you answered Melik's second half of that question, which is how do you juggle this with your personal life and work? And it's uh seems like it's you do it better when it's doing the things you like more than the things you you dread. Yeah, for sure. It's m- managing Outlands. I mean, Outlands is always in my pocket. I think that's a huge part of why people think I'm, you know, this is the only thing that I do because I'm always on Discord. I'm always available. I'm always reachable. You know, staff have my phone number. They know how to get a hold of me. If anything's really going sideways, I'm available for the project. And that's really my primary role is, you know, lead administrator, if you want to put a title on it, is to be available for Outlands. Um, but there was definitely a point when my career was taking off and I was w- really busy and I was traveling like crazy, like on a plane. You know, that's why the pilot career path story is available or is plausible because I was literally on a plane, you know, three or four times a week traveling the world and running Outlands at the same time. Like I'd hop on my laptop everywhere I could just to check the page queue or to check Discord or to moderate. And, you know, I've had some really heated conversations like typing like wild with my thumbs on my iPhone in Discord um, with players or solving problems or directing people or, you know, calling Expo in the middle of the night or waking Luthius up from, you know, deep slumber. That's, there is really no balance. I'm like hugely dedicated to the project, probably to a fault, you know, some sort of anxiety issue going bald, you know, horrible posture. My body's broken. That's all outlands definitely. But on the, the flip token of that is that I am so incredibly proud of everything that we've done. I didn't ever imagine that outlands would be the server that it's become. I never really, I didn't, I mean, I didn't set out to do something shitty. I didn't think that like, Oh, we'll launch a server. It'll die. Like everything else will, you know, everything else has, and, and that's fine. We'll just, you know, I'll move on with my life. Finally, you know, like kick this UO habit once and for all. But as it turns out, we have done something really amazing. We've made the largest UO free shard ever. I think, um, our population's incredibly high. We're extremely optimistic and passionate about the future. The server is running better than ever. You know, we're now a team of 11, including the volunteer counselors. Um, there's a lot of support. There's a lot of, you know, hype and excitement. The new, you know, like companions are contributing and, and making things really great for the community. The community itself is, is running at a really great level. You know, there's no real, like sores sticking out or causing problems and it's 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 been it's been really fun lately which is so such a nice like refreshing thing to say and especially during covid like i the last four months i was traveling a lot again and um was able to work remotely it was difficult creatively to like work on my laptop and map on my laptop and wasn't able to really sit down but i did have some creative outlet and was able to tackle things as best i could it's nice to know that the server sort of runs itself a little bit without me micromanaging every single aspect of it, which I'm happy to let go of to a certain extent. Hey, let's bring you back down a little bit. What what about the uh, the housing crisis? We briefly oh. talked about that earlier. <laughs> but... what, strike for, it was mean nothing to you, Nat. Do Jeez. we have to? Scratch this off the notes. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. next time, delete it off the notes, and then okay. I won't talk about it. I know. The strike through is just there for irony. Um, it needs to be addressed, I guess. Um, I The in system's really popular. 
We have yeah, a lot I, of I've never, I've never used it, but uh, you know, I, I would, I'm playing since launch, so I have a house. I, I'm, I'm assuming that that relieves some of the pressure. I mean, there yeah, was... to a certain extent. I mean, I think people are taking advantage of it now more than ever before. There's 565 in rooms rented right now. I was happy when it hit 100. Like I thought, you know, we really this is filling, filling a niche. We've got 100 in rooms rented. How now many did there's... you create originally? On the map, the, there's there's room for a lot, like uh, over two thousand two thousand five hundred something. Um, that's, how many, that's how many you added. No, they they're they're generated as needed. Oh, so okay, okay. If you rent a room, it creates a new one, um, and it like fills the empty spaces. So if like you know room number fifteen is no longer rented, then the next room that's rented goes into the fifteen slot. So it just kind of grows organically. Um. But we're all we're giving credits now to players when they log in, so they get two free weeks of in-room rental, which is like a nice segue into the system. They see that item in their pack and they go, "Oh, what is this? How, yeah, it's, how do I use this? How do I use yeah, this? Question. Where do I go? Like it's it's unique to Outland, so we have you know lead the horse to water to get them to drink um, their in-room, and it's been working. People are using them. Some people are using them exclusively. I mean, I I understand why housing is important and how it's integral to uo and that it's you know housing in general is sort of a unique idea to uo that's never really been replicated across the gaming world and how it also makes people feel like they're part of the game world and that if they have a house they can stay like it it marries them to the server to a certain extent whereas the end room is very um sort of temporary you don't see anybody around you're in the black like the map's black there's nothing around you and that's not what uo is all about per se but the i mean the housing crisis it's a it's a good problem to have it's a really tough problem to address there's like three thousand houses on the map or something if you look at our active accounts it's like drastically it's a, a different number um, there's way more active players than there are houses available. The, I think there are a few key things that we need to do to address the housing system as it stands now, which don't include expanding the landmass as much as I'd love to ex- expand the landmass. And ultimately we will. I'm just not sure exactly when. But I think the IDOC system needs to change. I think that the way loot or like belongings in a house are distributed and an IDOC needs to change. I think that we need to come up with a creative way for players to identify their three accounts so that if a player wanted, say, a basement, that could count as one of their account group's houses, which would alleviate some space. Or potentially look at taxing secondary or tertiary tertiary houses your second and third residence because a lot of people just hold on to two and three for no reason, just because they're land barons and that's, you know, end game UO. But really a lot of those houses are taking up space on the map that a new keen player or an active player in general, who's looking for a home can make use of. We also see a lot of players who have gigantic houses and they use the courtyard and nothing else. And the house sits empty. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that, you know, like four people could have houses in that plot. And that would be great. 
you know, we could, but I don't know. I mean, if that's their primary residence, then we probably wouldn't tax on that anyway. Call it upkeep because tax is a horrible real life, you know, awful situation. Taxes are almost due. So eight by eight courtyards? No, I don't know. That's, (laughs) I mean, that's the thing is like, I don't really know how to address it. I'm more interested in like the IDOC system in helping players get access to the housing system through that and like being a more effective avenue. Whereas right now it's very monopolized. I'd love to see, I'd, I'd love to see like some sort of, I'm going to call it for lack of a better term, lease system, right? Where I can, I can assign a co-owner or like give them temporary, you know, a new guildmate comes in, we have guild housing. Okay. Move into this house, use it. It's yours to do with as you want. You have full access to lockdown, secure, move, whatever. Right. Um, expanding the system that way. And I think I see that, that a lot in the suggestion channels too. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. That's what Shroud of the Avatar did. Um, which is another Garrett game, right? You can, when you lease them out, you give them, it almost feels like they have full control. Of course, they still, you know, aspire to and wish to get their own house, but they don't, you don't feel so, uh, so hindered, even though someone technically owns a house and not you. I think, I mean, that's important too. We deal with a lot of people who are like, they want to remove vendors from their house. It's like you lease the vendor. You know, you have some obligation now to keep that vendor there. So no, we can't remove it for you. One thing that's suggested frequently, which I think was like low-hanging fruit for the system. I mean, maybe it's not low-hanging fruit because if it was, Luthius probably would have done it by now. But through our secure system, like I wish to secure this, you could target a door, you could target a chest, and you could give a specific player access to that, mm-hmm. which would allow you to, you know, like if you have a apartment-style house, you could give someone access to that room and then give them a chest that they have access to and that would allow like more people to live together for sure. I could definitely build like a more, you know, some more like apartment style housing that would make sense that way. I'm going to write that down actually. So I remember to do this. Yeah, um, we have, a, we have a couple and we try and do that in our guild, but it's really hard, especially when you're dealing with new players, right? They're not trusted guild membership, but you want to give them some spots. So right. if you give, if you give two people access to a room, they could cross rooms and, it's like, well, keep the good stuff in the bank, but you can live out of this house, but you can't really live out of the house. So it's, yeah. Right. I mean, uh, yeah, that's yeah we do. I deal like fairly frequently with these trust issues. People are like, all oh, my stuff was stolen or, you know, I told someone they could come into my house and now all my things are gone or, you know, a player infiltrates a guild and they loot the storage shelf or loot the guild stuff. Um, so yeah, definitely like a, an extra layer of security I think would be really great. It would probably go a long way to making people feel um, at home. I don't know if it necessarily addressed the housing crisis at large. Um, ideally, if we did have a new landmass, it would double our housing capacity, which I think would go a long way to diluting the house market. One of the main things, problems that I see is how the market has been manipulated by people who are selling things, which obviously it's a player-run economy, and, and don't get me wrong, I think they've got every right to do that. But... And, and why wouldn't you sell things at a high price if people are willing to pay it? You know, like the, the gold is floating around. People are farming at a high level. They're, you know, they're, they're acquiring their gold. So if you want to sell an 8x8 for, you know, 1.5 million, then sure someone will pay it if they really want a house that badly. But, you know, that 8x8 deed is 50K. Uh, it's mind-boggling that it's the market value is 1.5 million. And I often get asked about the economy on Outlands, like how is the economy in general? And I mean, I think the economy is good. We don't see much fluctuation in terms of the cost of goods. Like 
you know, the cost of a command core is pretty stable and it's been stable for a long time. And no, no it's it really, been. it's really housing. Command core, command cores are way down. What are you talking about? Well, they're down now because the taming patch is coming. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like the, yeah. there's, there's not some like crazy inflation that's happening or some, you know, gold source that's coming from nowhere like a dupe. Yeah, or, the price of a skill ball has been between 20 and 30K for two and a half time. years. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas since, housing since is like was found. since the dupe, the great, which one? The great dupe of last, it was last year. Was it yeah. God, all, that was a, all, that that was a dark time. We did a podcast around then, I think. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, it was like really early COVID, um, COVID times. But yeah, the, the housing situation is something that is obviously on the forefront of my mind. I would like more people to feel like they can stay on Outlands and be a member of the, the deep community, um, have a house. Um, a lot of the stuff that we do is geared towards people having houses, like f- crafting furniture and collecting rares and showing things off and event prizes and prevailing merchant releases. And, you know, it's so much of it is home deco centric. And so in some way it's, like alienating people who don't have a house. Um, you can put it in your in-room, but no one will ever see it but you. Um, so, yeah, it's it's definitely... Luthius and I were talking about, like, the future in big, you know, terms. And he... His barometer is always, like, his inbox. How many people are messaging him about a certain thing that's really bothering them? And for a long time, it was ships. And then it went to PvP. And then it went to taming. And now it's gone to housing. So that's the telltale sign that big changes are coming for housing in some form or another is when Luthius reaches like fever pitch of annoyance. Speaking of new systems, I'm, I'm going to switch gears here because I know we're, we're going to try and wrap it up shortly. But um, on the pipeline, there was the companion system and new player experience. Um, has any more work? I know it hasn't been updated, but has any more work or thoughts or anything come of that because i know we're, there's an influx of play people uh playing with covid um the same questions are getting asked over and over and over and there were some awesome ideas there with templates and kind of tutorials and guides and things like that where do you see that fitting in and in, in the grand scheme of things i think sadly the new player system is like one of the things that we've just ignored for so long you know i wanted it in place before we launched because i knew we'd have a lot of players that were new to the game, especially new to Outlands. I mean, obviously new to Outlands. Like UO is complicated at the best of times, but then when you add the layers of depth that we have on top of it, it's like, yeah, you got to spend a few days to read the wiki to like get a grip of anything. And no one likes to read anything. <laughs> There's a lot of content no. on the wiki there's a lot of like our rules look long, but there's not that many words there. Like people just don't read anything. So it's like a fi- striking a fine balance of what will actually be useful and what will actually like what is worth the time. I think the template system is a good idea. I think some kind of like new player society would be a good idea, which like society jobs that reset just like the others, but you can go and get a job. It's like kill twenty mong bats, chop down twenty trees, get this many or, or whatever. An ASP fundamental things for the Outlands experience. I think we could start to give new players a pathway to access those. Like even like there's a lot of components to unlocking aspect, which just seems really complicated for someone who's new to it. But for us, we're like, yeah, you need this, 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 and this, and then, you know, get your aspect kit and craft your stuff and off you go. But if you could 
run some quests and get started and, you know, have a pathway to success or like set you off in the right direction, it might hook, line, and sinker you to staying on Outlands a little bit more easily than just us throwing to the wolves. Like Shelter Island is definitely a cushy place to land. You can get started there pretty easily, you know, skill gains enhanced and, and off you go. But I think other things could definitely be done to ease new players into the game. I imagine like, you know, go talk to Susie at the bar shop, you know, and Susie's got an exclamation point hovering above her head. And, you know, she's the one you have to go and talk to sort of like that Haven approach to to gaming that other games use and, and Ultima Online also used historically. There's like escort quest idea stuff. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, you get a new player in your guild. It's like, okay, you got to get chain. You got to get aspects. You got to get, you know, star leveling stuff. Right, because yeah. you don't want to waste XP. So anything you can do to get players introduce those systems, and if you can do it in game, that's even better, right? Rather than yeah, I think so. Read the wiki. Yeah, like yeah, the wiki's I, looking great. I mean, Expo's been working his ass on it, off on it, and the community's definitely been stepping up and helping with that. But it's a lot to say to players. Like even if we had really great guides or tutorials. I don't know how many people would actually sit down and digest it. Like first thing you should do is this second thing you should do is this start with this character, like those sorts Two. of guides. Yeah, exactly. So what's the, what's the point? I mean, I think the template system is probably a good idea. You can log in like, I want to be this character and then it just sets you up to a certain point. You know, you're not buying skills or, or advancing beyond what would, you know, normally take you 15 minutes, but it's at least outland specific ideas to educate, you know, like you need, tracking because it's useful you need taste id because it does this you need you know whatever our specific things are like camping for travel blah 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 there's a few sort of nuances to outlands that are common now for us to imagine in a template but for a player who's never played outlands before it doesn't seem so normal yeah i was uh new to uo pretty much um i mean i dabbled in past shards but nothing really substantial and I, I didn't play when it was live so the way i learned to play uo is i went to a couple other free shards before outlands launched and they had tutorials and then i went to uo live they had a free-to-play account i did the tutorial there and then i played the uo outlands beta and of course i was asking questions people like grizzly ghost and watching streams so it was just someone like me go back to how it was two and a half years ago like that would have been a godsend, just having stuff in the game where I didn't have to go outside sources to try to to learn how to play this old game. I, you know, I had the desire to overcome those hurdles, but not not everyone's gonna be like that. You know, you'll right, show some of the artwork and they'll be all aboard, all about checking it out, but then they'll hop in the game and like this is know. really annoyingly complex and tiddly. Even like, the UO Forever uh, quest game? line that I'm that I'm I'm, I'm referencing. That has a moment where you're supposed to hand a guy some gold. Um, and they're like, I forget what they say. It's just like a blurb of text. And I had no idea how to hand this dude the gold. Right. Dragging the item to the guy, that's an old school game thing. That just wasn't in the place to think of at the time. Right. But it makes sense. That's how it should work. But that's not really how most modern games work. Right. And you wonder, like, what, you know, what minutiae of things should we break this down to like should we be teaching you how to use the game should we have a manual like how to open your paper doll how to dress yourself how to trade how to protect yourself in a trade all of those like really very 
fundamental things that we all just learned by, you know, fucking around when we were 12 or 13 the first time around. Um, or being scammed while we were 12 or 13. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know where to even start with the new player experience. It's a whole, it's a whole thing, but still not implemented. It's like one of those long standing. It'll probably be on the next pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think y'all's approach is going to be a good one. Having the template system and the mentor system are both better than we currently have. Yeah. I mean, even having companions in discord, like that little blip of controversy was hilarious. Um, but having a name hue to indicate that these people are giving reputable information or they're a source of information period. That's at least, you know, based in some form of factor experience has been really great. You know, I think people are sitting the new player channel is more active than ever. It's lit a fire under some people's asked, um, who are becoming more helpful than they've ever been before. The community's performing well in that sense. So that's a step in the right direction for Discord. But we have people that don't even land in Discord. You know, they're in game and I'm like, can you message me? They're like, oh, I'll join the channel. They're not even a part of that community. And we just so blindly think that everybody is. And that's how we communicate with this with the server. Um, but having those people in game as well, you know, like wandering around. The other day I was in Shelter Island. I unhid myself and just stood in the square. And so many people came up to me like, how do I do this? Where do I go from here? Like, how, thanks so much for this project. I played UO since I was a baby and you know this is the best i've ever seen it best experience i've ever had and like heartwarming to see the new player area still so alive and so many people building characters and logging in like fresh faces that have never been there before and you know that's encouraging for the future of the server but at the same time i just like don't even know where to start with a lot of them what are your thoughts on the shelter blue hue blue hue the shelter blue hue. What is that? Have you not know? Like everyone starts with just blue, blue pants. Oh blue yeah, that's because like, they don't change anything. I know. They're like they don't change. <laughs> they all look like Smurfs. Yeah, they're, they're like the newbie Smurfs. I thought that was a bug, but it, they just don't change it. I know. I think that's the fault in Classic UO. Um, I think I think the regular client randomized it, but I think Classic UO just uh, Classic UO defaults to the blue. Smurf blue. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, I, it's recognizable for sure. It's like a uniform for noobs. Smurfs. One of the first server I ever played on, they called their counselors Smurfs because they all wore blue counselor robes and had jester hats on. So they were instead of counselors, they were all Smurfs. They'd have like a Smurf party for graduation. And the whole server would go when they became game masters. Fond memories. <laughs> so I know we're running out of time, and we we have a lot of questions we didn't really get to. Is there anything on here, Ace? You, you wanna you wanna ask before we go? No, I, I, we get, we hit so much and we answer so many questions. I mean, it's, it's awesome to get this inside look that we don't always get. And I, I know Owen and the team try and be transparent most of the time, um, while still keeping us surprised. Um, so we really do thank you a lot for coming on and talking with us and, uh, and opening up and, you know, giving us the insight. So all the people that, hound you and threaten you <laughs> and do everything else need to stop so you threaten can, my life right well no so you can get back to working on the map and giving us yeah. the things you want instead of we've got so many three big, exciting things in the works right now that i would love to share and you know talk about they're they're on the tip of my tongue and you know they're living in forum posts and staff section and they're like they're coming to fruition but i don't want to talk about anything without 
the finality of us releasing it or, or giving it to the player base on a timely manner. I've well, made that can, mistake one too many times before. You can tell us in our secret Inside Outlands host channel. Okay. All right. I'll give you the insight. The insight's <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I won't tell. I promise. Perfect. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. I could obviously talk about Outlands till I'm blue in the face for hours and hours and hours. Um, but it's always great to catch up with you guys and, and touch base with what's what's going on or what has gone on. Uh, Inside yeah, we'll Outlands is a huge... Sure. Once, uh, once we get another pipeline or get this one wrapped up, I'd love to get you back on and, and talk about where we're going in the future again. Sounds good. I'd love to. Uh, so you guys can find out about our show on the Outlands forums. We have a um, Discord link there. It's I think it's still locked. So if you go there in the Outlands forums, we have a post there. It has all of our podcast episodes and the, and the website there. We're using Anchor.fm now. Um, once you're in our Discord server, you can leave us and our guest feedback. You can listen live. Like today, we had about 10 people hop on throughout the show and, and listen live. Thanks, Owen, again for your time. We really do appreciate it. You're, I mean, I can't believe it's two and a half years already. We're approaching King's Fair again, which is probably my favorite event. Time is flying by. So just thanks for coming on, man. We really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. See you next time.